this morning is a continuation of what we've been doing in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 20, uh, we heard where Paul said that I'm constrained or bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He said, I, not knowing what's going to happen to me there, um, except that, that hardships, imprisonments, and other things await me. And in Acts chapter 21, we kind of walk and how Paul, we began to hear that the church was warning Paul through the Spirit, that Agabus the prophet warns Paul through the Spirit, the church warns Paul through the Spirit, pleading with Paul, Paul, don't go, Paul, it's bad, it's going to be hard. And remember that, he said, what are you guys doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. Verse 13 of Acts 21, for I am ready, not only to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, this is kind of a continuation of that. This passage, we're going to be 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. We're going to be walking with Peter in the midst of suffering for the name of Christ. And as you look at that, I want you to not simply hear this message and think, well, okay, I know that things are changing here in America and this may cost um, me with my job or it may change things um, with family or friends if I make stands for Christ. Absolutely. But I want you to also see this that realize that this suffering at times may come and not responding to that nasty, nasty text message or Facebook post. That times of suffering and not responding to a spouse that says something that you just don't like at all. As kiddos, maybe times when your parents say or do something that you prefer or wish they hadn't said. This moment of realizing there are moments in life when we are going to suffer. And we're looking specifically at suffering for doing good. All right, And so Peter's going to be very specific about that. Saying, listen now, if, if you're suffering because you've done stuff wrong, let's be honest, you deserve it. So he's talking about here in this context of living for Christ, suffering for the name of Christ, following Christ's way. You remember last week we kind of closed with, with this statement or, or kind of um, built around this idea of the fact that as hard as it is, that it's often God's will for us to suffer. That's a hard statement, but Peter writes to people that are in the midst of suffering. So if you've ever gone through hard times in your life, I encourage you, 1 Peter is a letter that you will find very, very applicable to your life. So look what he says here, 1 Peter, um, a couple statements. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, he says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will. So he connects suffering to the will of God right there in 1 Peter three seventeen, than for doing evil. Then this, this is a very clarifying statement. Verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer, again, so we have suffering, and look what he says here, according to God's will. And then this statement right here, I think 1 Peter four nineteen might be a, a verse that would capture well the entire letter, um, all five chapters. He says, Those who are suffering according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And that's really what's going to happen in our passage today. So, again, we have this idea. We often think, why am I suffering? Why would a good God allow suffering? I actually had this discussion just a few nights ago with a, with a non-believer. Um, that was part of the discussion we went into. And um, why, why does a good God allow evil? Why does a good, if he's so good, if he's so um, omnibenevolent, that means he's all good, then why is evil in the world? Why doesn't he just stop it? Why doesn't he put an end to it? And so we realize that in the midst of suffering, we often want to think, well, surely God's abandoned me, he's left me, but... We have specific clarity from the scriptures that suffering can be in accordance with God's will for your life. And that's a hard moment. So we want to walk through this. So, again, First Peter chapter 2, building upon what we're seeing with Paul. And this is going to really propel us or prepare us 
for the closing chapters of Acts and all that Paul's going to go through. So he picks up 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, he says, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. He says, listen, I want you to realize that you are to be subject to masters. He says it's to be done with respect. But look what there. He provides clarity on this submission, right, of serving. Not only to the good, he says, but also, not only to the good in general, but also to the unjust. And we hear that and we'd say, well, why should I be servant to the unjust? Why should I be nice to people that are mean to me, right? Basically, that's kind of a really easy way of thinking about it. Why should I be nice to someone that's so mean to me, right? Like maybe some of you all have like those mean girls at school or those mean guys or maybe some of you all are those people. You have them on your job site, right? I mean, tell your kids, it doesn't, it doesn't change when you grow up, right? Those people follow you to work. Some of them are in your family. Um, some of you may feel like you're married to them. And he says, listen here, servants be subject not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And you'd say, why should we do that? Why should we be subject to them? Look what he says. For this, verse 19, again, when you see these statements, right? These are, these are really simple things. Um, has God called me to preach and teach the gospel? Absolutely. But part of my responsibility in preaching and teaching the gospel is to equip you to, to study and understand the gospel on your own. All right, and so intentionally, that's why we use the screen, why we do, because I want your focus to be upon God's Word. I want you to see God's Word and say, that's not really that complicated, right? I, I can do that. I, I can study God's Word. I can look to God's Word. Now, I'm going to need the community of believers. I need other people to help me interpret or understand. But sometimes I think we come to God's Word and we think it's impossible to ever decipher. And so we just close it up and say, well, there's no, no chance for me. No, if you're in Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been also given the community of believers. Um, God's specifically raising up preachers and teachers in the church to help us. But look what he says there. So we look. He says, why are we to suffer to the unjust? He says, for this is a gracious thing. It's a gracious thing. In Luke chapter 6, um, he uses similar wording there. When he says, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? The word credit literally is the same Greek word that's used as gracious, right? It's the word we get grace from, right? And he says, literally, what kind of grace is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Look what he says. And your reward will be great. So look what he says there. When you're suffering unjustly, he says, I want you guys to remember it is a gracious thing. Literally, Peter is looking forward and saying, guys, don't realize. You, you often think that maybe your suffering has no impact. It makes no difference. He says, I want you to realize there is a reward coming. That's what it literally says there. Jesus is speaking. He says, and your reward will be great. That doesn't mean you may receive lands or houses or homes in this life. But he's looking forward to the life that is to come. And he says, listen, guys, I want you to know your reward will be great. And so we're there and you say, well, man, I, I, how can I even do this? Right. I mean, how can anyone ever even be aware of doing this? Look what he says there. He says, for this is a gracious thing when back in verse 19 of first Peter two, when mindful of God. And that's really where I want to drive the message today. That's where the text is going to go. And Peter's going to walk with us slowly that direction. That suffering really has to become a reality of understanding who Christ is and what he has done for us. 
And so he says, listen, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. He says, listen, you guys have got to have the mindset in the midst of suffering to realize there is a God who will one day reward us in the midst of suffering for doing the righteous thing, for doing the good thing of following God's word. And look what he says there. Not only mindful of God, but look back in our text of, of Luke 6 and 35. Look what he says. And you will be sons of the Most High. He says, listen, when you guys suffer unjustly for my name and the, and the truthfulness of my word, I want you to know that you're identifying yourself as my son or daughter. You're identifying yourself as my son or daughter. And that's a, that's a mindset we have to have to realize, oh man, I'm suffering. Where is God? Right? We have that moment of thinking, why did this ever happen to me? Why am I experiencing this? Maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe he doesn't care about me. And the text of Scripture tells us the exact opposite. It says you're suffering for doing the righteous and good thing. You're suffering unjustly. Have the mindset to realize this is often God's plan. This is often God's way. So don't think God somehow abandoned you. Realize this is a moment of refinement, a moment of testing, a moment of fire to prove, to authenticate the fact that you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's where the text is. And he's helping us walk through these things. And you say, well, well Blake, you just don't understand my circumstances. Well, listen to what Peter says. Back in verse 19, he says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Literally again there, look what he says. Um, what is, what, for what credit is it, verse 20? What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good? So again, now he has this doing good, right? We're suffering unjustly. Let's see there. Yes, yeah, suffering unjustly. So he's, he's saying, listen, I want you to realize there's going to be moments when your boss does not deserve kindness. When your coworker does not deserve for you to have a respectful attitude to them, for you not to spout off or tell them what you think, there's going to be moments when your spouse doesn't deserve for you to show that humility or to keep your mouth shut. Emily and I, we were at a wedding yesterday, and we were just talking a little bit about what, what should we write or what should we share. And often my, my greatest advice comes back to married couples. It's in James chapter 1 where he says, says that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That is some of the best advice I could give to any parent, to, to uh, any spouse. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Man, it's a great temptation. James provides some great wisdom there in James chapter 1. But you'd say, well, well, listen, Blake, this is impossible. Like, who can actually live this way? Like, I mean, who can do good and suffer for it and not run their mouth off? Or I mean, how can we ever live like this? And look what he says here. Look at this. This is an awesome moment. For what credit is, again, verse 20 of 1 Peter chapter 2. For what credit is it if when you sin or are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And look what he says here. Again, helping you and I interpret, right? We're like, this sounds impossible. Why would we ever do this? Again, for, right? So Paul's giving you a little clue. Here's why. Look what he says. For to this you have been what? Called. I don't know if anybody told you that. I don't know if you were aware of that when you responded to Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the calling that you have received is one of suffering. He says, for to this you have been called. And you say, well, what is the to this, right? Like, what's he talking about right there? Well, look what he says. The suffering is this. This is, this is your calling. If you are a follower of Christ, he says, I want you to be aware this is part of your calling. And your calling looks like this. 
You're going to do good. You're going to suffer. And praise be unto God, you're going to endure it. Wow. The calling of a follower of Jesus Christ is to do good, to suffer, and endure it. Have you had moments like that? Are you in those moments right now where you're suffering? You, you've been doing good and, and you're suffering. Somebody said something. Somebody's done something. You're like, I, I mean, I didn't do anything. I, I had no intention of that or whatever the situation is. I want to compel you to look to God's Word and realize this is your calling. Don't consider it so strange. This is what you have been called to do. 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we have some... Maybe familiar words to many of us from the New Testament. He says in verse 8, Be self-controlled and alert, for your enemy the devil prowls around like what? A roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then he says this, picking up verse 9. Stand firm. Resist him. Why, Peter? Knowing that your brothers and sisters all throughout the world are enduring the same kind of suffering that's what happens often in the midst of our suffering right we get the eeyore i mean i'm guilty right i mean I, 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 full full disclosure i am guilty right when things go bad in my life i post the eeyore sign above my life and i wonder god why is it always raining he says you're not alone that's what I, it, that temptation is there in the midst of suffering you think it's only you but he says listen this is in fact going on throughout the world and then he closes by saying, and God himself will soon come and restore you gently. After you've suffered a little while. He says, God's not forgot about you. It may feel that way in the midst of it. But I want you to know, believer, you have been called to do good and to suffer and endure it. Wow, what a calling, right? And maybe you're here and you'd say, are you sure? Like, Peter, are you sure that's our calling? Like, maybe this is Peter, like, sometimes he, he spouts his mouth off, right? Like, Peter, like, I'll never deny you, or surely not you, Lord, that you should ever die. I mean, like, maybe Peter's just, like, getting a little bit of, like, his, he's, like, got his foot in his mouth right here, and he's, like, overspoke, and we're reminded, obviously, many of you know, this is obviously God's Word, and so Peter would tell us that this isn't just simply men writing these words. This is, in fact, the Holy Spirit of God inspiring them. The Spirit of God is at work in them, and look what he says here. This is how we know. Because. Right? See these simple words for, because. Oftentimes they are cluing you in to tell you, to help you understand what they've just said. So he says, for to this you've been called, to do good, to suffer, to endure it. And you'd say, well, well Peter, are you sure? And Peter would literally walk into the courtroom with you and I and say, here's exhibit A. Because Christ also what? Because Christ also suffered. He said, you may be wondering, man, is it really God's plan? Is that really God's calling for me to suffer? He says, I want you to know it is. Why? Because Christ also suffered. And Christ suffered. Guess who he suffered for? He suffered for you. Look at this with me, if you would. First Peter chapter 3. We read verse 17 earlier. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then look what he says here. For Christ also suffered once for sins. And then this statement there. The righteous for who? The unrighteous. The one that wasn't guilty for the guilty. Us. 
The holy for the unholy, the godly for the ungodly. And listen, we are the uns in that category. We are unrighteous. We are unholy. We are we are un, we, we have not done anything good. And he says, listen, Christ suffered for us, guys. So look what he says here. This is important. I think we need to maybe just for a moment, just dive a little deeper. Because Christ also, look what he says here about this suffering. Who was the suffering for? Who was the suffering for? For you. Ooh, for me. I like that. Getting very specific. Not just simply for us. Yeah, absolutely. But for me. It's that idea of substitutionary atonement. That literally someone stepped in your place. You deserve to die on the cross. You deserve separation from God forever. But Christ stepped in living a perfect and godly life. He never sinned once forever at all. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says that God made Jesus who knew no sin. He never sinned. It says to be sin for me. That in Christ I, that you, might become the very righteousness of God. So we have this moment of the substitution. But not only that, look what he says here. This is beautiful. So again, you're asking, well, is God really calling me to suffer? Could that ever be God's will? Look, he says, he says, well, yeah, it is. Because that's, remember, Christ suffered for you. Look what he says. Leaving you what? Leaving you what? An example. Wow. He's leaving us an example, guys. Here's what often can happen when we come to this, right? We can see this moment and say, Christ suffered for you. And, and so we get really excited about that. And we go out and try to tell a lot of folks about the fact that they need Jesus. And, and rightfully so. But when it comes to suffering personally, oftentimes we want to get as far away from that or think maybe God doesn't love me or care about me anymore. He's abandoned me because after all, I'm his child. Why would he ever let me suffer? Other folks can maybe tendency to run to the example part and push aside the fact that they're not sure about needing Jesus. This is just really about being a good enough person. So if Jesus suffered, then that's what I want to do. It's really not about necessarily because I need him or because he is, he is my only hope of righteousness. I just want to be a good enough person. And maybe being a good enough person and suffering like Jesus, then maybe God would let me in. Peter's telling you and I we need both. You need not only a substitute to save you, you also now are called to go and do likewise. To suffer as he suffered. He's your example of suffering. He is your moment of realizing when you want to spout off your mouth at that coach that has wronged your child. He's that moment of saying, as a, lamb, as a sheep before her shears was silent, so he did not open his mouth. Now listen, I'm not saying there are not moments in life when we have to confront sin. Absolutely. Matthew 18, many texts of Scripture are very clear about that. But there are going to be moments in your life when God is going to put the holy zipper on you and say, just be quiet. I know you want to respond back to that person, right? I, Full disclosure, this is bad on the radio. I pulled out, out last Sunday, come to church, and somebody threw their hands up, and I hammered the gas. And then I was like, man, what am I going to do if they pull in the parking lot behind us? Right? I mean, I do. Do you have those moments? Like you just, Ugh! right? I mean, we just lose it. Right? I mean, it's like, I, I pulled out of my driveway. It's not like they don't know who it is, right? I mean, it's Greensburg. We know who it is. Who's the guy in the minivan with the 15 kids hanging out the side, right? I wonder who that might be, right? And I hammered it. And it was like, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm a sinner. I make very poor decisions at times. Do you? We need Christ. 
in the moments when you pull out on the road and that hits in an instant and that road rage or whatever, your switch flips or your spouse says something or somebody says something about your kid or kiddos for you when somebody in school says something about your mommy, you're like, you didn't talk about my mom, it's on, right? Like, throw my coat off. I don't know why that's the ultimate. Dads, we're just kind of left out. But if you say something about mom, it's like, dude, meet me at the stockyards or wherever they do it in Green County. That's what we used to do. But anyway, um, anyway, I, I digress. So anyway, look, 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 look. He says, listen, guys, I want you guys to suffer. We're leaving you guys an example. And you say, well, what's the purpose of this even happening? Look what he says back there in verse 18 of First Peter 3. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That, right? See that statement there again? It clues you in. Why? That he might bring us to God. Do you think that many times in your life the suffering God uses to bring other people to God through you? God uses your weaknesses and your brokenness and the things that you can't fix and the sicknesses that you can't make go away and the family troubles that you have that you can't seem to say, hocus pocus, I wish this would go away faster. You can't make it happen. And in the midst of your suffering, do you think that it might be those very moments where God uses your life to say, people begin to say, how are you suffering like this? How could you keep your mouth closed? How could you... That God would use you and I to point people to someone greater than us, to let them realize, it's not me. I would totally blow this. It is a work of God's Holy Spirit. It is a movement of God transforming me. And so that's what he says there. Look what he says back again here, back in, in verse 21 of 1 Peter 2. So why this suffering, why this leaving example? It's similar to what he's saying there. So that you might follow in his steps. He says, listen, you guys got an example. This isn't just feel-good music about come to Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, it says these large crowds were following Jesus, and he turns to them and says something absolutely crazy, countercultural, totally. He said, if anyone doesn't hate their father or mother, brother, sister, son or daughter, yes, even their own life, if they don't hate those things more than me, like he says, if you want to put everybody else in front of me, he said, you're not worthy to be my disciple. That's hard. I mean, this is a large crowd. Like, Jesus, you're going to make a lot of people go away. Don't say that. He says, do you guys not count the cost? Like, if you go to build your own house, would you not sit down and begin to wonder, can, hey, can we even get a loan to get this approved? Do we have any opportunity? Do you have any finances to build? He said, would it make any sense if you started to lay the foundation and then you never could finish it? I mean, would people not say, that doesn't make any sense? I mean, he says, listen, you need to count the cost. If you're going to follow me, realize there is a call to suffer. Suffering is a part, a normal part of the Christian life. So let's quit excluding suffering and thinking that's something that could never be a part of God's will for my life. That is the example not only of the New Testament believers, that's Christ's example for us. And Peter says that's so that you may follow. Wherever he leads, I'll what? I'll go. Do we mean it? It's easy to say that in the good times, but when he leads you to the desert, to the temptation, to the darkness, to the hard diagnoses of life, are you still following in his steps? Well, maybe you're here and you would say, Blake, that way of life is way too costly. And if I do that, people are going to step on me. People will step over me. I mean, I'm just laying down and being a doormat. And I think Peter almost prepares for that response. Look what he says to us. Literally the next verse, verse 22 of 1 Peter 2. 
hey guys, I know you may be tempted and think that you're going to get stepped over. Remember this in your suffering. He committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. I mean, I know you think you're suffering unjustly, that you, you want to know what injustice is, Peter says. It was the fact that a sinless person was treated unjustly. Now that's injustice, Peter says. We, I mean, there's moments, absolutely, we do good and we're suffering and it's not necessarily just, but he's like, if you guys think, well, that way of life will be way too costly, that's going to be way too damaging to my rep, that's going to be, that's going to, I mean, Blake, that's going to just let people walk over me and my family. He says, listen, I know you think it's unjust, but remember Jesus? Guys, he committed no sin. He was sinless. And yet he suffered. That is your example. And then this statement here, and verse 23 is, is I've literally wanted to preach this for months. And literally, I just felt like this here in the past, I guess, week and a half, two weeks, the Spirit said, it's for this day. And it was because of this passage and the revelation insight that God provided. Um, and, and many of you may already have known this, been way ahead of me. And so if you are, God bless you. Um, but this was huge for me. All right. And so I, I want to share this with you just for a few moments. Listen to what it says, verse 23 of 1 Peter 2. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, all right, so we're speaking about the suffering of Christ, he did not threaten, but, again, right, see those statements? These, these are just little clues to help us interpret him. So what did he do, right? So if Jesus suffered unjustly, if he didn't open his mouth, if he didn't respond back seemingly like to that person that said something nasty about him, if he didn't like get crazy in the car when that happened, if, if Jesus wouldn't have done that with back to his spouse or as kids, he wouldn't have responded that way to his parents. I mean, if he wouldn't have done that to a co-worker, then what was Jesus doing? And Peter says it, look what he says. But he continued what? Entrusting himself, look what he says here, to, right again, to who? Who's he entrusting himself to? To the one who judges justly. Peter is telling something, again, this is major. And I hope and pray that it helps you as you begin to deal with suffering or you are dealing with suffering or what will happen this week. Peter looks at the suffering you and I have in this world and I think he says that Jesus entrusted himself to the Father and it tells us two things. One is this. Every wrong that's been done against you and I, two things is possible. One is this. It's been covered by the blood of Christ. So that wrong that's been done to you, if that person is a follower of Christ or becomes a follower of Christ, that wrong that was done to you has been covered by the blood of Jesus so Jesus on the cross could entrust himself to the Father, saying literally, Father, forgive them for they know not what? They don't know what they're doing. So Jesus could forgive those, ultimately, who would be forgiven by his, his sacrifice. So it doesn't discount the fact that people are doing evil, mean, ungodly things to you. It's just saying that it's been covered by the blood of Christ. Or pr proposition number two is true. They won't be covered by the blood of Christ. And when they die, they will suffer justly at the hands of a righteous and holy God. And that ought to terrify you for whoever, I don't care who it is that's done you wrong, how bad they've done you wrong. If you and I truly understand what it means for eternal separation from God, that should bother us that even our enemies in this world would experience that. 
But I want you in the midst of your suffering to realize that those two things, it's one of two that's happening. The person that has wronged you is either that very thing they've done has been paid for by the blood of Christ. Or they've rejected Christ and therefore they will stand before a holy God one day and suffer the due penalty for it. Right. So we we, we often have this statement, right? Look what look what it's would just for a moment. He says, but he continued to trust in himself justly to him, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Verse 24, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Do you see that? Here's where all this is leading. Peter is saying to you and I, guys, we don't have to live like the rest of the world. We might die to sin and live to righteousness that we can truly forgive those that hurt us. I don't know if you've ever said it or heard people say it. There's going to be hell to pay for that. Peter says, there already was. What do you mean there will be? Christ, He bore the wrath of God for that sin. You think you're somehow going to get even enough with them? No, the ultimate even was already paid on the cross. Forgive them. Or realize that what you've said is way beyond what you could ever imagine. Because if they reject that Christ, that, that the Christ of the cross, what they've done to you, there will indeed be hell to pay, but you won't be administering that. A perfect and righteous God will be. Therefore, let us forgive as He has forgiven us. Therefore, let us entrust all judgment to God the Father. And realize that I don't have to get even with my spouse. I don't have to get even with that coach. I don't have to get even with that teacher. I don't have to get even with my mom and dad. Right? Some of you are holding things from long back in your past. Maybe it was parents that were never there for you. Maybe it was people that have abandoned you. People that have stepped over you. Maybe people in this community. Maybe even people in this church. And you still have that root of bitterness. That desire for revenge. If you can't get past it. Peter says, guys... If they're in Christ, it's already been paid for. Entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. And realize that if, it, if, if they don't come under the, the blood of Christ, that one day they will suffer real judgment from God forever. And he says, therefore, let's die to sin. Let's live for righteousness And as if maybe in that moment, again, we struggle, we're human, like, I'm not sure I can do that. He reminds us, guys, don't forget, by His wounds you've been healed. Don't forget, verse 25, that you were strained like sheep. That you too have once gone astray. That you too once have offended someone. That you too once have messed up. That you too once have said those words. That you too once have had that bitterness in your own heart. You have once messed up too. But he says, look, he says, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He says, church, come home today. Come home, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. How did he forgive us? Totally and completely. You see, I think in the moment here, we have that beautiful moment. I don't know how many of you have seen it, but it's, it's, a, it's a classic around the Christmas time. And man, I love it. It's Dr. Seuss, how the Grinch stole Christmas. And I love watching the movie and just get so excited about the cartoon. And, and what happens, my favorite moment is, is after the Grinch has gone through, right, and he's gone down in Whoville and he's taken everything and left everything. It says he raises up that morning assuming that everything's going to be dead in Whoville. And then what to his wondering little ear should appear? 
But all the people down in Whoville are just starting to sing that song, right? Right? And do you remember what happens in that moment? I love it. The Grinch whose heart was so small, it literally says the Grinch's heart grew how many sizes that day? Do you remember? Three sizes that day. And then it goes, boing, and it busts out of the thing. I love that old cartoon. Here's what I'm saying. Based upon God's word, today you're struggling just like I'm struggling to forgive people and to want to get even and to say there's going to be hell to pay for that. He says Christ's example and calling is one of suffering. Let this word explode in your heart today that you can truly forgive one another from your heart. Let Christ's example... Father, I forgive them because you already paid the penalty for them. Or if they don't, they don't come out of that blood, then God, I know one day you will ultimately judge them justly. And so God, I can entrust all judgment just like Jesus did. I want to follow his example. I realize I've been called to suffer. God, do a work in my heart today. Because if we're all honest, we've all felt, acted, and been a little grinchy. Let the power of Christ set you free. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I thank you, God. Lord, this word is, is, is so rich. Lord, I fall so short of it. Um, God, I struggle so much, Lord. You know my many struggles. Whether it's to get mad in a moment um, in traffic or at a basketball game or at an umpire or I lose it with my kids or I lose it with my wife or I upset with church folks. and Man, I'm just, Lord, I, I'm a mess. I know that, God. And so, Lord, I just come right now and just ask that you would do a work in my heart. And I pray for the many here that are are struggling with a lot of the same things or may look different in their context. I ask right now that Christ's example, the truth of God's word, would set people free. I pray for forgiveness, God, for people that have held things for years, resentment, bitterness, for what people have done or maybe what they didn't do. And I just pray that Christ's example, His calling to suffer, to do good, to suffer unjustly, and endure it. I pray your people today would just come and entrust themselves to you. Most of all, Lord, I pray also for those who don't know you, who have never returned to the shepherd and overseer of their soul. I pray, God, they would realize that they've strayed from you, that one day they'll be judged justly. And the only way to escape that judgment, Lord, I pray they would know that it's by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Speak and draw people today. I ask it in your name, Lord. Amen. I encourage you. This is a message I know we all deal and struggle with. Forgiveness. I compel you today to just spend some time with the Lord here. You're welcome to stand with us now if you'd like. You're welcome to stay seated. If you need to come and bow, if you want somebody to pray with you. But let's, let's allow God to do a work in our hearts, to forgive one another from our hearts, to entrust others to, to God who judges justly. Would you respond today to the gospel and the preached word of God? Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee, surrender your all today.
follow my Christ who loves me so wherever he leads I'll go he drew me closer to his side I sought his will to know and in that will shadows dim or o'er the stormy sea I take my cross and follow him wherever he leadeth me wherever he leads I'll go Christ who loves me so wherever he leads I'll go my heart my life my all I bring to Christ who loves me so he my master, Lord, and King, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so wherever he leads I'll go you may be seated as we begin this part of our service today observing the Lord's Supper I just want to share with you just for a few minutes that Sometimes I'm fearful that we find ourselves just simply doing church on Sunday instead of really experiencing church. And if we find ourselves in that particular trap, we can easily find ourselves observing the Lord's Supper just because that's what we do about four times every year. And if we are truly in that trap, we are missing it, folks. Not only is it a dangerous thing to take the Lord's Supper and not realize what you're doing, 
But you're missing the beauty of it. And I want to talk just a few minutes about that this morning. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we should be thankful for that free gift of God, which is eternal life. Paul describes this gift in the serious terms of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. This is my body, which was broken for you. Here Paul is identifying Christ's sacrifice. He describes the suffering of Jesus. That suffering was for me. It was for you. Paul asks us to remember that sacrifice. But not only to remember the sacrifice, but to remember the suffering of Jesus Christ for me, for you. And also to 